Well, good morning. Hey, really appreciate Cody uh, sharing. One of the things I love about that story, how many of you have had something on your heart sometimes and you just wait and wait and wait? Okay, Cody didn't wait. He just did it. He just did it. He responded as the Spirit led. So uh, uh, awesome to see God work through that. Well, hey, if I don't know you, I'm Jason, one of the pastors here, and I'm with uh, two of my distinguished colleagues right here. First of all, Dean Bezaeus, our discipleship pastor in Rich Westlake, uh, one, time, one of our longtime church leaders, and they're uh, still getting over their jet lag. They've come back from uh, Taiwan, and they're going to tell us just a little bit about, uh, about their trip. So, Pastor Dean, start us off. Give us one highlight uh, from the trip. Uh, Niao, Wajon Dean. <laughs> that's the limit of my Chinese right now, so that's a highlight. But uh, really, I think uh, Friday night, <clears throat> we had a Bible study at the Williamsons, Rod and Beth Williamson, the missionaries that we support, and they uh, bring some of the special needs, uh, uniquely abled players and their families in. Uh, we had a Bible study. Beth did a wonderful job giving a message, and the kids were really locked into her, and they went down to play, and I had an opportunity to share a little lesson and the family members were all really engaged and interactive. And it was just really neat to see the, uh, uh, the input and impact that the Williamsons are having uh, on some very uh, special people for them. Yeah. How about you, Rich? Well, for those of you that sit down here on Sunday mornings, you know that I love to sing. And so I'm not a very good singer, but I love to sing. And so I got a chance to be in a trio, a male trio, Rod, Jim, who was with us, both very good singers, and I sang in front of the church. That's the first time ever, and it went viral over in Taiwan, if you can believe that. With, with God, all things are possible. Uh, probably for me, the, the highlight was just being able to, um, we did the baseball game, as Dean said, and then a, a clinic after that, and just spend those hours uh, loving on those kids and loving on their parents. It's just it's, it's amazing what God can do in your heart and your spirit when you just let go of all your own stuff and just concentrate on other people. Yeah, so some of those other people, Rod and Beth Williamson, are, are impact partners there. How were you guys able to support them? Well, I think um, for me, one of, one of the big ways was just um, they, they have a, a, a son who is 27 years old, Matthew. Most of you, or a lot of you know Matthew. He's been here many times. Uh, just, just to be able to pour into him some. We, we took a long walk around the lake one day, beautiful lake, and just, just some exercise and trying to get rid of the jet lag. And, and uh, Matthew was walking back there by himself, and so I just dropped back and spent maybe the last 15, 20 minutes of that trip just investing in him. And that, that was, uh, I think that was a real blessing to, to Rod and Beth. They both mentioned to me how how thankful they were for that. Yeah, fantastic. How about you, Dean? I think for me, two things real quick. One, as Rich said, just loving on the kids and their, uh, in front of their families, I think enhanced the Williamsons uh, in their eyes, that we would come all the way from America and, and support the Williamsons. Uh, and I think that that was uh, really uh, very visible in, in their eyes. I think the other avenue is they set us up multiple times to visit with pastors and missionaries. And we were able to interact and share some things that are going on here in our church, things we're learning. Uh, they were very inquisitive, asked us a lot about what, what works well in missions and, and ministry. 
and we were able to uh, give some input back to them that hopefully will help their ministry long term. Yeah, so you were both able to give, but I, I bet you also were able to receive a few things as you went. So yeah, yeah, I think the takeaway for me is the fingerprints of God. Uh, we, we saw it very clearly. Uh, he held off the rain. It was projected to rain the day of the clinic. We had many prayer groups praying, and he held off the rain. And then uh, certainly the communist Chinese were saber-rattling and had war games going on right before we got there, and there was no tension, no conflict. So the Lord just kind of intervened and protected us uh, from that aspect as well. I think uh, the interaction, uh, the multiple times he uh, opened doors for us to invest and I think lastly, just even uh, on a small thing, but uh, the Lord was able to allow us to change our flight, to get an earlier flight home, and uh, he did it without a change fee. Uh, and United mm -hmm. was able to do that. So it was just a blessing, and to see his fingerprints was really neat. The small kindnesses of God, absolutely. Yeah, how about you, Rich? Yeah, I think for me, uh, one of the big takeaways was just um, what the great banquet table in heaven is actually going to be like. On Sunday mm -hmm. afternoon, we had a, a church service. Dean was actually teaching uh, at a retreat a ways away, so he wasn't able to be in the service, but Jim and I were in a service, a combined service of four churches. And the pastors and, and some leaders afterward went to a restaurant, and there was this rotisserie table or a Lazy Susan, and there were probably 12 to 15 of us around there. I, d I didn't understand much of what was being said, although they had translators there so they could translate. But just the, the spirit of God and the unity that was around that table. There were no agendas. It was just people that were trying to serve Jesus mm. hanging out together. And that's exactly what it's going to be like in heaven. And so um, that, that for me was just a, a, a really uh, mind-opening experience. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys, uh, for going, for, for taking the time, and for sharing. Let's, uh, let's give them a big hand as they... <clears throat> Would you pray with me before we dive in? Father, we thank you so much for the opportunities that you give us, opportunities to, to connect, to share, to respond to what your Spirit leads us to do. And, Father, we ask now as we enter into your Word that your spirit would guide us, that you would work in our hearts, that you would work in our minds, show us where we're off, and encourage us this morning. I pray that my words are clear, that they're helpful, and that they give you glory and honor. Burn off whatever doesn't do those things. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as Matt said, we're in James chapter 2. Before we get there, though, I've got a question for you this morning. <clears throat> is your life filled with more get to or got to? Is your life filled more with got to? You know what I mean by that. It's duty, it's obligation, it's the have-tos of life, or is it more get to? Is it joyful opportunities? that you're stepping into. What is that for you? If you had a, a giant pie chart that could map those things out, is it more get to or got to? Is it more joy? Is it more obligation? What is that for you? What is that for you? My, my, my gut feeling in the book of James, and some of you have read James many times, some of you, this is your first time going through the book. 
And if it's your first time, I'm delighted that you're here. If it's your 75th time, I'm equally delighted that you're here. The great thing about God's Word is it it is accessible to everybody, but we can never exhaust it. Amen? So where are you in that? One of the metrics of growth and maturity as a follower of Jesus, I believe, is that get-to-got-to pie graph in your mind. The closer we get to Jesus, the more even the hard things seem to be get-tos because they're joyful opportunities. Even uh, last week, uh, we read a verse, and, and, and James says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. So what's that look like for you? And sometimes when we, we read James, James will hit you between the eyes. He doesn't pull any punches. Sometimes we can walk away with simply guilt and shame and conviction. And that can be a start, but I don't believe that that ultimately leads to long-term change. So if you're convicted this morning, great. I already have been lots of times this week. But as we walk together, how do we actually grow? How do we actually change? That's what we're about here this morning. We said last week that, very simply, who you are drives what you do. Who you are drives what you do. And it's your daily habits that reinforce who you are. Now, you can read popular literature on habits and change. Uh, James Clear, for instance, says, you know, that, uh, you know, our habits, when we, 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 uh, that what you do, you're casting a vote for the person you wish to become. So when you take a step in that direction, you're casting a vote for your future self. And that's good, and that's well and true. Um, He's not the one that invented that concept. You can go all the way back to the Apostle Paul who said, live up to what you have already attained. So when we think about how do we actually change, change comes from reinforcing who we are and who we are specifically in Christ, even as Cody modeled and and prayed for us this morning. So the key to change is to not forget who we are, but to act out of our identity in Christ. Last week we read in James this this image of somebody who looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what they look like. So the one who hears the word but doesn't put it into practice is just like that person who forgets. So change comes from who we are becoming, our identity in Christ. Last week we talked a a little bit about anger and how it's the habit of listening, listening to the word, listening to other people, being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, that that habit can help us in our growth process. This morning we're going to look at some other particular issues and how we might actually change. So let me start you with John, James 1.18, just a reminder of our identity. He says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a, first, a kind of first fruits of all he created. So when we think about our identity in Christ, it's an identity that we have received. 
It's not something we've earned or achieved. It starts with God. God is the first mover. He is the one who chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Jesus himself is the word made flesh. We have the, the, the gospel, the good news that Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin, has rescued us from the power of sin and death, and we put our faith and trust in him. So that's our fundamental identity. Some of you may be reminded of um, Paul in Ephesians 2, where he says, you know, we're not saved by our works, but we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works for him. That all these good works are prepared in advance for us. Cody helping out the Hope Center. Dean and Rich going to Taiwan. All those things that God has prepared those things for us in advance. Well, this morning we're going to get into some tougher topics here. I'm going to take you to James 1.27. He says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This was the end of chapter 1, and it's this, this idea that what James is calling us to do reflects the heart of God and the values of the kingdom. There's both the, the, the good things to do. Talks about the widow and, and, and the orphan. It's part of that is those who can't pay you back. So there's good to do. There's also staying free from being corrupted by the world. So there's competing value systems here. Well, let's go to 2 1. James says this, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Jesus again, or James again here is going to appeal to our identity. Who are you? You are brothers and sisters. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are a, become part of the family. You are a brother or sister in Christ in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ. This is family identity language. James is going to go on. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So what is this favoritism that James is talking about? And then what does that favoritism reveal? Favoritism. When you hear these words, how do you respond? Some of you are instantly like, that's, that's not me. I would never do that. What does that look like? What is the favoritism that he is talking about? It's a failure to recognize the values of God's kingdom. It's a failure to see that. It's a, it's a, 
it's complicit, it's being complicit with the world's values that look at people and say, this person is more valuable than that person. It's the way of the world. It's just the way the world operates. It's a mindset that is giving to get. It's placing different values on somebody's worth. This is a big deal. This is a big deal for James. It's a passive acceptance of the values of the world. I was wrestling with this and I was like, do you ever read the Bible and you're like, that's not me. I'm so glad that's not me. Now, I know somebody like that, but that's not me. Have you ever read, read it that way? And then you keep reading it. Oh, oh, yeah, maybe that is me. Maybe that is me. I was thinking back and, you know, coached a lot of kids over the years. And, you know, coached football, coached... Um, you know, different positions, and, and sometimes trouble and talent go hand in hand in coaching. Sometimes those with the most talent sometimes bring a lot of trouble. Trouble in their background, trouble things they can't control, and I've had my share of that. And as I was looking back and I was thinking about that, and I was looking at my investment in different players over time. And it just so happened that those that I invested the most in tended to have the most talent. Tended to have the most talent. Now, they had plenty of trouble, and that's a good thing. The trouble's not good, but to invest them in is good. But I'm like, why did I spend more time with those who had more talent? Because I wanted to win a game. Because I wanted people to see what I was doing. And the ones who have talent, people tend to see more. Anybody there? Now that can happen in different contexts. I'll let the Spirit do what the Spirit needs to do. But that's one of the ways I was thinking about it. Because I was looking at what's the return on my investment. What's the return on my investment? That's one of the favoritism questions that is counter to the love that Jesus talks about. I'll let that one sit on you for a minute. Let's go on, verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? God's kingdom operates differently. It is a different set of values. What the world values... What Jesus values can be at odds. What's James saying here? Open up your eyes. Verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, 
love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. How many of you have heard that before? Love your neighbor as yourself. Wow, I came to church this morning and discovered something new. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's not a new teaching. But how do I actually do that? How do I actually do that? But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. James is going to pull out the big guns. Adultery and murder, the seventh and the sixth commandment, those are pretty big deals. He's putting favoritism in here. A failure to love your neighbor, there's an integrity, there's a unity to the law. There's a unity to God's teaching about love. This stuff matters. Why is it the royal law? Well, it's King Jesus. It's his values. Now, if we had time, I'd take you to his teaching in Luke 10 where he, you know, guy comes and says, hey, what, what uh, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, you know, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And he's going to say, who's my neighbor? And he's going to try to narrow that definition what a narrow view of who my neighbor is. And Jesus is going to give the parable of the Good Samaritan, and he's going to expand that definition of your neighbor. Speak and act, verse 12, as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, this is one of those pieces in James that I want to pause because so much of the time we hear the command and we're like, oh, I've, I've, got, I've got to brace myself for the punch here. But he talks about the law that gives freedom. Freedom. Freedom sounds a lot more like a get to than a got to to me. What is the law that gives freedom? It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the idea that my identity is something that I receive by God's grace, not something I achieve through my good deeds. The mercy we extend to others reflects our understanding of the mercy we have received from Jesus. That's the key. So it's not our good deeds, it's not our good works, that's not what saves us. It's always a response to what God has already done for us. So real faith in the real world produces real love for other people. A love and a compassion, especially for those who can't pay you back. And pay you back can take a lot of forms even the recognition that I get from that. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have 
faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James is giving us a picture of what real faith produces. Real faith produces more than just trite words. Real faith produces more than simply words. There's something that wells up in us that leads us to action. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now, let's have a conversation about this. Let's talk about faith in deeds for just a moment. Now, we won't go into the Old Testament references that James is going to give to us to illustrate his point. We'll stop with this particular portion in James. But faith is more than simply, I have some truth about God that I would check the box and say, yes, I I think that's true. James is saying real faith is going to produce something. It's more than simply having all your beliefs buttoned up into a nice package. Real faith is going to produce something. It's more than simply having the right information about Jesus. And part of what James is going to point to here is really a a limited understanding of the gospel. Sometimes we talk about loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that's, that's a vertical relationship. And then we talk about loving our neighbors as ourselves. That's a horizontal relationship. Sometimes we miss the horizontal part. Real faith, real belief is going to extend not just to those who are going to pay us back, but to those who are different, those whose society maybe has thrown away. That's what it's going to produce. At the same time, faith is, not, is, is more than simply being kind to the down and out. There is a component to belief that says, yes, I do need to believe who Jesus is. I do need to believe these truths about the Bible. Had the opportunity to go to a funeral uh, a couple weeks ago. It was at a Unitarian Universalist church. I won't take time to go into all that theology, but it's basically this. It's, it's love people, do all those things, but there's no Jesus. There's really no belief in the Word of God. You just push that all the way out, and it's just horizontal with no vertical. It's what it is. So, so there's no, it's not tied to anything. Both of those are, are off. Okay, part of what James is saying, let's, 
let's connect the vertical, let's connect our love for God with the way we love other people. Genuine faith produces a desire to love without a return on the investment calculation. That's what it's going to produce in us. Now, let me give you a bottom line and some steps here. Because again, it's, it's really important to me in this series that it's not I just walk out of here and feel convicted. Okay, how do we move forward? How do we move forward? Let me give you this bottom line. Jesus gives us everything we need to break free from the broken systems that break people. Let me say that again. Jesus gives us everything we need to break free from the broken systems that break people. Now let's talk about those broken systems for just a minute. Don't worry, I'm not going to go on any kind of political rant here. (laughs) Broken systems of the heart. Broken systems, I mean, it goes all the way back, the Apostle Paul, Romans 12 says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. The pattern of the world is power, I'm going to give to get. It's all about the return on my investment. It's about manipulation. It's about grabbing whatever I can grab. That's the way of the world. That's the broken system. Who does that broken system break? (laughs) Those who don't have the good stuff. Those who don't have the talent. Those who are different. Those who the world looks down on. That system breaks those people. You may be in that. You may feel that. Who does the system also break? Every one of us. Because what it does, it says that there's a, there's a system that says I have to achieve my identity. I have to earn it. I have to keep that up. That fundamentally who I am is dependent upon what I do. That is exhausting. Some of you feel that. That's an exhausting way to do life. There's fear in that. There's fatigue in that. And Jesus gives us so much more. That's the good news. But there's a system underneath that. Now, Jesus gives us everything we need to break free from the broken systems that break all of us. What did Jesus say? Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you more to do. No. He says, I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. Now, rest is a good thing, amen? Some of you need more of it. But I believe what God is calling us to do is more than just have more rest. He's giving us more resources. Jesus gives us the get-to to replace the world's got-to. Let me give you three things that Jesus gives us. i got to be quick on this. First of all, he gives us a new reason to love. He gives us a new reason to love. Very quickly, I won't, won't go through it all, but 2 Corinthians 5, 14, it says, For Christ's love compels us. This word compel means both to, to, to push us, to urge us, to give us the energy and to constrain us. 
very simple illustration, I was thinking of a garden hose. Remember way back in the day, some of you, when you played outside and you got thirsty, you didn't just go get an energy drink. You went to the garden hose and you got a drink from the garden hose. How many of you remember that? How many like, show me a history movie on that, right? Okay, think of, think of that water trickling out. Think of that water trickling out versus putting a spigot on that thing. I mean, a handle on that thing or a power washer on that thing. What, is a, what does a power washer do? It's going to give you energy and it's going to narrow that focus. It's going to constrain that. And when we, the love of Christ does both. It, it gives us that energy. It gives us what's behind and it's going to give us focus. And that's a love that compels us to action. So Jesus gives us the reason. He also gives us unlimited resources. Unlimited resources. Ephesians 3.20 says, now to him who is able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And then finally, he gives us eternal relationships, responsibility, and reward. There is a kingdom that we are invited to be a part of. That's eternal. So when we think about how do we actually live this out, there are two habits very quickly. The first, we need to be in the Word. We need to be listeners of the Word. We need to be in the Word and community. And the second is to serve in community, to serve in community. Part of what we do is we don't just think about it, we put it into practice. We got a great opportunity May the 7th, just take a baby step of serving, a little call-out meeting, find out what those opportunities are, how we can serve together. But when we begin to change those habits, we make that a regular part of what we do that reinforces who we are. And then we can tap into those resources that only Jesus gives us. Amen? Well, I want to invite us now um, to the communion table. And uh, here at Community Church, when we go to the communion table, we, we go as a family. We go as brothers and sisters in Christ. doesn't mean you've got it all figured out. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you've had a perfect week. It simply means you put your faith and your trust in Christ. And when we come to the table, we remember the sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus. And he contrasted with the world. He said, some people in the world, they might die for a good man. But the Apostle Paul, he says, you know, why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when we receive the bread, we remember his broken body. When we take the cup, we remember his blood shed for us. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to you this morning, we come in gratitude and we come and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to examine our hearts. Show us our attitude. Show us where we show favoritism. Show us where we are just continuing to draw from our own resources. 
show us where we are more concerned about getting ahead and what others think than what you think. So as we receive the bread and the cup, we say thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. When you're ready, the table's open.